right, so I am excited that we're going to be starting a new sermon series this week. Are y'all excited about the new sermon series? How many of you have been on our social media and you already know what the new sermon series is going to be this week? Nobody? Okay. So, as we prepare and as we go into the Word this morning, I'm believing by faith that this is going to be a series that's going to bless us. Um, it's something that um, I know that when we hear it, we normally hear it in a different context. And so I'm just really um, looking forward to sharing with you uh, what God has been downloading to me in my spirit. And so the series is entitled Simple Money, Rich Life. Right. Somebody say that with me. Simple Money, Rich Life. And it's inspired by a book of that same title. And as the title suggests, we are going to be talking about a topic that affects each and every one of us. It's money. And it is a safe bet that regardless of what your financial life looks like at this particular moment in your life, you've had moments where you needed God to show up in your financial life. Do I have any witnesses this morning? There have been moments where we've needed God to show up. And I'm just praying that God blesses you this morning because as I recall the struggles and the challenges that I have faced in my life, it was not something that I could look to anything I had been taught or anything I had learned in the church that was available to really help me navigate through. When I had heard a topic or a sermon, it was more so on the aspect of giving and the importance of giving for your local church, which is a very valid and important aspect. But then there's the aspect of stewardship and learning how to be victorious in the area of your finances so you would even be in a position to be able to be generous to others and to your local church. And things are just different when you do not have that burden, when you do not have that struggle. And I am just excited at some of the snippets that God is sharing with me to give to each and every one of you this morning so that no matter where you are, you will leave at the end of this series feeling like you are victorious in this area of your life. And so maybe you have felt like no matter what direction you turned, there was something negative staring you down. Maybe in times like these, we can feel like the odds are so stacked against us that there's no point in making any decision. We get paralyzed, so to speak. Though our enemies may not be flesh and blood, we feel vulnerable to powerful enemies on every side of us. I've been there. I remember having times where there were just so many bills, there were so many things that were due, you just kind of felt like, well, who do I pay? You've got a certain amount of money, you have expenses, you have things that are coming at you from every direction and you're trying to figure out how do I make it through? I know we can all feel overwhelmed with our finances at times. 
always see her bills, unmet desires, and mounting guilt for how we've botched our handling of God's money. I have vivid recollections of my honeymoon phase where we both had the same checkbook, but we weren't on the same page of who was spending out of that checkbook and learning the hard way with the overdraft fee that we both had spent the same money. These are realities. These are things that we go through that we don't discuss, that we don't talk about, but then we have marital strife. Then we have stress. Then we have health conditions. Then we have all of these things that result because we don't deal with, oftentimes, the root cause of many of our troubles. And so that is why in these next four weeks, we're gonna be talking about it, amen? We'll be talking about how to steward our finances well. John Wesley, a famed evangelist from the 18th century once wrote this, I gain all I can without hurting either my soul or body. I save all I can, not willingly wasting anything, not a sheet of paper, not a cup of water. Yet by giving all I can, I am effectively secured from laying up treasures upon earth. I am secured from either desiring or endeavoring it as long as I give all I can. Now, like Wesley, we have the opportunity to save all we can, earn all we can, give all we can, and enjoy it all for God's glory. And I'll tell you, it's kind of comical because my family makes fun of me. I am one of those people, as Wesley said, that will not willingly waste anything. Let me be out of ketchup and buy a new bottle of ketchup. I am that girl who is dumping the last milliliter of ketchup out of that old bottle into that new bottle before it is thrown away. There's just something in me about stewardship and not wasting anything that God has given to me. And as we spend the next four weeks explaining each of these principles, today we begin with a story that is tucked away in one of these books of the scripture that you probably don't read much. If you turn with me, we're going to go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and if you need a Bible, someone will provide it for you. And what I did for you today, because I am going to be reading such a large chunk of this scripture, I'm just putting the page number that you can start to follow me with on today's slide, and then, Curtis, I wouldn't even bother live streaming that slide. It's nothing to share. You could just share it in the house. Um, but if we are at Second Chronicles chapter 20, I am going to read to you verses 1 through 23. Now, full disclaimer, these are not all vocabulary words that I use on a day-to-day -day basis. So there may be a couple of them that I pronounce and it's not quite the right pronunciation. It will not be for lack of trying, it will just be for lack of ability. 
but do not allow that to catch you in a place of being distracted. Let us receive the word that God has this morning because so many nuggets are going to come out of this word. And so I'm going to read into your hearing. You should be there. We're at 2 Chronicles chapter 20. We're going to start at verse 1 and we're going to end at verse 23. And it reads, it came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with them other besides the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on the side of Syria. And behold, they be in Hazazon Tamer, which is in Jedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and gavest it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? And they dwelt therein and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil cometh upon us as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. And now behold the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. O oh, our God, Will thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do. But our eyes are upon thee. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, and the son of Jeel, the son of Madaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, hearken ye, all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou king Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude. For the battle 
is not yours, but God's. Verse 16, tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa, and they went forth. As they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and that should praise the beauty of holiness, as they went out before the army and to say, praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. Verse 23, for the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy one another. I don't know how much of that you had read previously, but as we dive into this, I hope you see a mighty battle that was fought by just standing on the promise of God. And as we dissect this, I hope that we begin to recognize certain biblical principles that apply to any battle that we're facing in our lives, even when we're facing financial troubles. Did you notice something here? As soon as Jehoshaphat became aware, he turned to God with what he was facing. He was specific. His prayer was not a general, oh my God, help me, I'm in trouble. It was pointed. It was direct. And if you really look at it, he did something that I am very fond of doing when I'm having my conversations with God. He reminded God of his promises. It's in a very effective way to pray, not just randomly asking God to do stuff for you that he's never said he was going to do. But holding on to the scripture, holding on to the promises, holding on to the prophetic word that he has given you and reminding him of how he's blessed you and he's brought you through. Many of you remember and have heard the testimony I've shared with you all about how God has showed me the home he had for me and my family. 
and how we went through so many obstacles and so many barriers in order to see that promise manifested, but how each turn we were able to say, God, this is what you promised. This is what you showed us. Look at the enemies as you hear Jehoshaphat praying. Look at the enemies that are coming. We're specific in our prayers. We're able to say, God, this is a, maybe you're facing floor foreclosure right now. Maybe you're facing repossession. Maybe you're going through something financially that is a challenge that you've never had to go through before. And you begin to listen to what God is sharing with us this morning. And you pray specifically. And you say, God, this is the home that you blessed me to receive. I remember when, and you begin to recall the testimonies. Recall the things that God has done in your life. Recall the times that you just didn't think that you were going to make it. And God alone brought you through. And you begin to have that conversation and say, I know it is not your will for this to overtake me. And as Jehoshaphat is praying specifically in this way, and he knew which enemies he was facing and what trouble they were causing, he did something that we all must do. He gave all that to the Lord. He named it and he gave it to the Lord. Did you also notice the words of the prophet, Jehaziel? He calmed the fear of Jehoshaphat and the people by putting things into an eternal perspective. He reminded them what I am reminding you this morning, and that was that the battle belongs to God. Somebody say that with me. The battle belongs to God. There is one other thing for us to notice in this section before we move on, that even though this battle belongs to God, they had to show up. Did you catch that? They still had to show up. Did you read the instructions? See, this is where half of us would have messed up. There's an army coming against us. We don't have the might to beat it. But you want me to show up? Show up in what? Get beat down? Get took out? Get eliminated? Nah, you got this one, God. We're going to pray from a distance and you take care of it. But that wasn't the instruction, was it? See, one thing about walking into a blessing is we have to be so very careful to follow the instructions that God gives us to a T. I love to use the analogy of cooking because cooking you can kind of, you know, do a little bit something different and still get a good outcome. But baking is very specific. That's why I don't even try to do it. If you mess up and you use more than you're supposed to use, you're going to get a different outcome. It's precise. And when the Lord is developing something in our lives, when the Lord is preparing a blessing for us, preparing to bring us through a battle, it is very important for us to understand that every part of that instruction is important. So they did have to still go out for this battle, even if they were not expected to fight. 
And so that means that that is going to require them, as it's going to require us to not second guess why it is that God is telling us to do something that doesn't seem like it makes sense in the greater scheme of what it is we've asked him to do. You know how we have a prayer request, but we already figured out how the prayer should be answered. So we've got God all packaged and boxed up and how he's supposed to respond to the request. But God is meanwhile preparing to bless us in a way that we haven't even considered. The Bible tells us his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. The little stuff our little finite minds can come up with is not even on the same platform as what our heavenly father is working out in our lives. And so when we recognize that, we must come to a point where we say, you know what, I'm not even gonna question it. It reminds me of when my children, you know, they're three and four and five and they're asking me why. You can't even begin to understand why. I don't even have the time to explain to you why. I don't even have the energy to give you the background, to give you the science of it all, just because I said so. That's what we're gonna have to settle with for today. That's what we have to do as children of God. We have to convince ourselves because he said so. I, I, I know it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I'll probably understand it after it's all said and done. But right now, I don't have time to argue. I have to obey him because I need him to help me through this situation. And so even though the battle belongs to God, they had to show up. God required the army of Judah to march down the battle line. The same is true of your financial situation. The battle is the Lord's, but you still have to show up. This main point that I want you to get from 2 Chronicles chapter 20 isn't about, you know, the, the text itself has nothing to do with financial debt. The principle of the text is that something that I really believe you will be able to use throughout your life, and it applies to our battles with money. And that is when we see that the battle belongs to God and we entrust our situation with him. If you start a weight loss battle, if you're trying to lose weight and you're on a journey, one of the first steps you have to do is get on the scale. You don't want to do that. You don't want to see how bad the damage is. But it's one of the first steps. Why? Because you have to have an honest assessment of where you are currently at. You need to know the problem and the depth of the problem. And I want you to notice in the specifics of 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 2, they said, a great multitude are coming against him. A great multitude. Now, you might be thinking it would have been helpful to have a little bit more specific of a number here. They're still defining it as a large amount. And they also noted that they are coming from Edom. They are, they are coming from beyond the sea, and they're already in Hazazaz... I had such a hard time with this word. Hazazazan Tamar. This is a specific threat. What would happen if Jehoshaphat had been given instructions that a certain number of people were in a certain place who aimed to do him harm? This would have left the king with more questions than answers. Should he take this as a serious threat? 
Are we talking 15 people or 15,000 people? Are these people who are at our next door neighbors or are they just a couple thousand miles away? And are they just upset or are they already starting to arrange for battle? I say all this to say, when we are facing issues and trouble, sometimes we want more specifics than God gives us. We want more details, we want more information. And I understand the difficulty of information. It has been said before that we would rather believe a lie than an uncomfortable truth. Sometimes we would rather not know the information than to have to come to grips with negative information. You may be thinking to yourself, because I remember you would get those collection letters and you would be like, well, I don't need to know how much it is. I ain't got no money anyway. Whatever the amount is, I ain't got it. But the beginning, let me tell you, of be beginning to pull ourselves out of that is confrontation, is opening each one of them, is writing the amount down, is making it plain and coming to God and saying, God, this is what I need help with. And as I said, God will begin to move. I remember I had one specific debt, was a student debt. And I had taken a class at um, Case Western Reserve University in the School of Nonprofits. And I had decided like may maybe midway through the class that this was not the class that I needed. It was a class, nonprofit management class. And so I dropped it. Well, I might have missed the deadline for dropping it by a little and they sent me a bill, a big bill, that I didn't have the money to pay because of course you get student loans if you're in school, but then if you're not, then you don't get that. So I had a little bit of a problem. Now the old me would have just buried my head in the sand and been like, well, they just ain't gonna get this. But the spirit filled me that was filled with belief in God said, we've gotta address this issue head on. And I felt the Lord giving me a spirit of boldness to call the school. And I called the school, and long story short, much to my amazement out of my obedience to God, do you know they canceled the debt? Who does that? See, I may have been praying thinking that my answer to prayer was God was going to send me a specific sum of money so I could write a check and send it to the school, and then that way I would no longer owe them. But the thing about trusting God in the midst of battles is he may choose to work your situation out in a way that you never even thought of. I certainly never thought that by being obedient and making that call that it was going to end with them canceling the debt. Completely. Wiped out. Gone. So God didn't need to send me that sum to cancel that debt. He had another way. I hope I'm speaking to somebody this morning who has a finite way that you're expecting God to show up in a circumstance to give you encouragement to let him out of the box. Let God be God. Let him handle it whatever way he sees fit because the way that he handles it brings him glory. Me being able to share this testimony brings God glory. There are things that he wants to do in our life that sometimes he just likes to do it in an extravagant way so that when it's done, we know that couldn't have been nothing but God. I mean, we all know how to go to work and pay a bill. 
We all can do that. But there's some stuff that only God can do. And he is doing that in our lives, creating testimonies that he is yet alive and that he still answers prayer. But like Jehoshaphat, we have to first be willing to go out and do the part that he has asked us to do, even if that part is just show up. One of the other things that I saw that as I was preparing, and I didn't even have a lot about this in my notes, but the Holy Spirit is bringing it back to my remembrance, so I know it's important for me to share this with you, is the, the other part of that, of going and showing up, was they didn't have a plan. God gave them no instructions of, like, what do you do afterwards? They just had to get there. And I know for many of us, that can be very scary if you don't have a full plan presented to you in advance. I mean, I'm very methodical. I prefer a plan. And that's why I had to memorize Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to your own understanding, Alicia, and all of your ways. Acknowledge him and what? He will direct your path. He will show you what's next. Because that was a hard one for me. If you don't mind, can you show me what's coming in advance? Can I get a business plan? Can I get some kind of idea of where we're going with this? And he he never does it that way. He wants to what? Direct our path. You just take that first step of faith. And when you get there, he'll tell you what's next. He'll tell you what you need to do. And we have to have enough faith to go ahead and take that first step, even though we don't know where the rest of the steps are going to unfold. And then we have to be willing to wait until he gives us the next step. Oh, I know I'm stepping on some toes right now. Because many of us will get there, and since we don't have clear instructions yet, we'll just start doing whatever we think we need to do next. Well, I'm here now. Maybe I should, uh... Did he tell you to do that? Do nothing until he gives you the next set of instructions. That was one of the hardest things for us when we had the church that we were going to purchase and then we didn't purchase that church and we had all this, you know, pressure from every side. When are we getting a church? I thought we were going to buy this other church. When when are we getting a place to, to move into? And we had to just stand in obedience and say, Whenever God shows us where he wants us to be. I can't, out of the desire to please man, just run out and do something so that y'all still have faith in me. I'm losing faith by the moment. Losing members by the moment. Losing confidence by the moment. Because they're going, well, shoot, if y'all don't know where y'all going, I'll just go to another church. This is taking too long. And meanwhile, we still have to stand in that one spot and say, God, I trust you. I'm not moving. I don't care how many people leave. I don't care how bad they talk about me. Oh, and they talked about me. I promise you, I will not make a move until you show me what to do. And what a glorious day it was when God showed me this this property. And I was like, this is it. This is the one. This is the one we waited for. This is the one we prayed for. This is just for us. Many of us have to get to that point where we're willing to be still and take the ridicule. I know it's taking you longer to get married than everybody else in your family. I know it's taking you longer to get to the next place in your career than other people that you know have. 
I know everything is not moving on the timetable that you set for yourself to have children, to do this, to do that, whatever it is. But when you make up your mind that I'm not concerned about what pace everybody else is moving at, God has a blessing for me. And in due season, as I continue to trust him and wait on him and believe he is going to bring it to pass in my life, I am a living witness. And may I share with you another thing? What God has for you is always so much better than what you planned. I used to get so disappointed when my little plans used to fail because, you know, I had planned them all out. I mean, they were well thought out. Most of the time, I had little spreadsheets, charts, everything. I mean, there's a whole lot of work that went into this, and it's not going to happen. But every time, God blows my mind because when he brings what he wants to do into my life, I'm like, whoo, I am so glad that did not happen. I am so glad that I have learned to wait on him. So when it comes to the money, how often are we not actually looking at what is going on with our finances, hoping that by burying our heads in the sand, they'll just disappear. The battle belongs to the Lord, but we must show up. We must show up. For some of us, that means we must take that phone call from that collector. You don't know what God's getting ready to work out. You don't know who he has on that line and how he's prepared them and is getting ready to use them to be a blessing for you. You just got to show up. Second Chronicles 20, verses 5 through 12, Jehoshaphat prays to the Lord for protection. He gives an accurate assessment of the situation to God in prayer, but he also remembers the covenant that God made with them. He knew God promised this land to them. Now, here's why I want us to put a pin in this, because sometimes God moves things because that's not what he had for us. And if we really want to receive the promise, we've got to be willing to wait on the promise, not the counterfeit, not the substitution that we grabbed to fill in the space until God got ready to do what he was getting ready to do. And then as we look here and as we see how he knew God had promised this land to him, I want you to be mindful of something that I wish someone had taught me. When I was believing God on this, what he had showed me about the house, and it started taking so long, one of the things I always thank God for is my circle of faith. My children, my husband, we all stood in agreement with what God promised. And so it was so beneficial because there would be times where my faith would just be so weary and I would just be like, maybe this isn't going to happen. Maybe I should just find something else. But then because the faith circle I had surrounded myself with, then when I felt low, somebody else would be able to pick me up. You know, my, my daughter, she was one of the best. We, had, we were staying in this temporary location, and so we wanted God to know we did not give up on his promise. So we wouldn't let anybody get anything that was permanent. We had blow-up beds, and my daughter's blow-up bed just kept popping. So we found ourselves running like Dollar General like every other week, buying another blow-up bed. And at one point, 
I was like, this is stupid. Let's just get her a mattress. And so I brought up to my daughter, I said, do you want me to just get you a, a mattress? Because you keep having to sleep on these blow-up beds and they keep popping. And she said, sure, when we get to our house. She wouldn't let go of the promise. Don't start moving it around because it's inconvenience. We made a decision. We believe God. He is going to bless us with this home. So we're not making nothing permanent. Everything in there, our tables was flip tables. You know the little white flip tables we got in the church downstairs? Everything was, I'm only here for a moment. I'm believing God. I mean, that's how you stand on a promise of God. And when it got tight, she was like, I don't care. Buy me another blow-up bed. I'll get my real mattress when I get to my real house. I need you to surround yourself with people who will encourage you in those moments where you feel like you can't continue to believe God. It's much harder when you allow yourself to be around a lot of negative Nancys, a lot of people that you share the vision that God gave with and they snuff it out with their pessimism. They snuck it, they snuff it out by the doubt, asking you all the, well, what about this? And how are you gonna handle that? Well, what about that? Make it a point to evaluate who you have in your ear. Because it doesn't mean they can't be in your circle, but they're just gonna have to have limited access to your ear. Those are the people that when you're on the phone and, and they're just a little bit too negative and they're speaking against what God showed you that you hear your timer going off and you need to go check on your roast. You just got to limit the amount of access that they have so that you can hold on to this promise that God has given you and you can believe even when it's starting to look challenging that God is still able that's how Jehoshaphat handled this. And the prayer that the people pray in verse 12, it might also be a great prayer for beginning our journey towards financial freedom. For he said, for we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. See, that's how we have to start this. I'm powerless. I don't know what to do. Somebody said maybe you should refinance your house. Somebody else said maybe you should go get a payday loan. Somebody else said maybe you should get an extra side hustle. I've got ideas coming at me every way. I don't know what to do. But my eyes are on you. I'm past the point of accepting advice from others who are not the author and the finisher of my faith. God, I want to hear from you. I will be still. I will do nothing until you show me what to do. Because what I've learned is when we don't take that approach, we find ourselves doing something that he has not sanctioned that we then have to unravel before we can get to the blessing. The battle is too big for us to conquer on our own. Left to ourselves, we will not be good stewards of the land or the promises 
God has given to us. We will always put them in peril. And so God answered the prayer of the king through that prophet, and the Lord reminded the people that this battle belonged, belonged to him. Do not be afraid, he said, and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. And that is true this morning for each and every one of you and our finances as well. It is true that you are the one that signed your name to the debt. It's you that the creditors will be calling. But our finances ultimately belong to the Lord. I think that's one of the things that it takes us a lot longer to realize, and because we don't realize it, we struggle with it trying to figure it out on our own. No matter how big your financial challenge is, the battle isn't yours, the battle is the Lord's. What would you expect to be the response here? Do you expect the Israelites to go back home and to continue with their life as normal, having handled this mountainous problem over to God? That's not what happens. Immediately after this word from the Lord, the text tells us Jehaziel instructed them they were to go down against them. They were not going to have to fight in this battle, but only stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. They were told similar words to those spoken to Joshua many years before. You remember that? Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. The principle here isn't that we just have to stand firm in our debt and wait for God to solve our financial problems mysteriously. The principle here is that the battle belongs to the Lord, but he calls on us to show up. Don't make the mistake of thinking that because it's his battle, he won't require you to do something. And often that something has to be done before you even see the miracle. I have three examples for you. Jehoshaphat and Judah had to march down to that battle line against a far superior army before God delivered them. Moses had to walk up to the Red Sea and stretch out his staff before it parted. The disciples had to begin distributing the food before it was multiplied to feed the 5,000. If they hadn't acted in faith, do you think those miracles would have happened? God is bigger than any financial problem we face, but we have to be willing to step out in faith to see the miracle. Oftentimes that step of faith is a natural step God uses to do the supernatural. I hope you caught that. I'm gonna give that to you again. That step of faith is a natural step God uses to do the supernatural. In conclusion, it's important for us to remember why we care about finances in the first place. One of the reasons is practical. There's a story told of Elijah outrunning a chariot, but he tucked in his cloak before he started running. Elijah outran a chariot, but before he did, 
he tied up his cloak. If God had given him supernatural speed, but he had been tripping over his cloak the whole way, he probably would not have been able to outrun the chariot. You hear what I'm saying here? Elijah took a natural step so this supernatural thing that God was getting ready to do in his life wouldn't be hindered. God gave him the supernatural speed, but he took the natural step first of tying up his cloak so he would not be hindered with what God was blessing him with. That's my closing challenge to each and every one of us. What natural step might God be calling us to do so that when he does the supernatural in our lives, when he does the supernatural in our finances, it won't be hindered? What ways do you need to show up and engage in your finances this week? Let's pray. God, we thank you for how you're able to speak to us and how you're able to continue to give us understanding for all of our getting. We want to get an understanding of you, of your word, of your purpose, of your plan, how we can align ourselves with your plan and how we can apply your word to our life so that we can excel, so that we can overcome every obstacle, everything that may be trying to weigh us down, even in the area of our finances. God, we submit everything to you. We submit not just our health to you, not just our salvation to you, not just our relationships to you, but God, we submit even our finances to you, and we ask that you would be Lord, that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us direction, that you would help us with stewardship, that you would help us overcome fears about not having what we need, Father God, that we would put our complete trust in you, our complete faith in you, and that you would begin to move in ways that only you can move. God, you know what each and every person is in need of this morning. For some of us, we may just need more clarity on how to use the finances we have because we've already overcome those financial struggles. And for some of us, we may be right in the middle of a struggle and we just need your encouragement to know that you're with us and that you will bring us through. Oh God, I ask that no matter where your children are this morning, that you speak to them and that you continue to allow your word to marinate in their heart, that the Holy Spirit continues the work that you began here, and that this is the beginning of a new experience of freedom in their finances because of the power of your word. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.